Welcome to the Dean's Dialogue podcast, hosted by me, Amani Jamad. I am the Dean of the Princeton School of Public and International Affairs. I am excited to connect with you in conversation. We are in such a pivotal moment in the world, faced with many public policy challenges, but within those issues are solutions. In this podcast, I'll speak with public servants, scholars, students, and alumni about today's most pressing public policy concerns. Welcome to the show. Today's topic of conversation is SPIA in D.C., our new initiative to enhance our involvement with national policymakers and increase our engagement in the nation's capital. This initiative is one of the strategic priorities I identified early in my deanship, and I am excited to see it come to fruition. My guest today is Dr. Alan Blinder, the Gordon S. Renchier Memorial Professor of Economics and Public Affairs at Princeton. Alan is uniquely qualified to talk about SPIA in D.C. He is a member of the Planning Committee for SPIA in D.C., and his professional experience includes serving as Vice Chairman of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System and as a member of President Bill Clinton's Council of Economic Advisors. For the Clinton administration, he was responsible for macroeconomic forecasting and also worked intensively on budget, international trade, and healthcare issues. Alan, welcome to the Dean's Dialogue podcast. Thank you, Amani. Very glad to be with you. I see today we're going to turn the tables and I'm going to be doing most of the asking. You'll be doing most of the answering. And there's a good reason for that, which you just said, which is this is a new initiative of the school and you were principally responsible for getting it done. I want to start with just asking kind of a broad question about what your vision is for SPIA in DC. Thank you, Alan, for that question. There's a multi-tiered set of goals and objectives that I envision with this via in DC initiative. First and foremost, in my conversations with my colleagues, especially our professors at the school, like yourself, so many of our professors are working, quote unquote, behind the scenes. You're one of the more publicly visible professors working in Washington, DC, but many of our faculty are working to help influence policy, but it's not very visible. It's not very apparent to us as a school and to our community. So the first goal is to elevate the policy profiles of the school's faculty. Second, Alan, as I have begun to meet with our alumni and our alum, what I've noticed is that a tremendous segment of our alum are in D.C. as not only key policymakers, not only in public service, but they're really in influential positions. And it was only as I began to sort of deliberately engage our alumni that that became apparent to me. And I was in awe. I was honestly in awe of the sheer percentage and amount of SPIA influence we have in circles like Washington, D.C. And the fact that when we wanted to convene in D.C., we often struggled in terms of finding the right and appropriate space to do so. And third, in terms of what we were already doing in the school, whether it was our policy task forces, whether it was the policy workshops, whether it was our faculty doing really outstanding things in the curriculum and how they were teaching our courses, a lot of the school's curricular activity involved trips to D.C., inviting policymakers from D.C. to our classrooms. In this way, we are really heavily involved in D.C., influencing D.C., influenced by D.C., but it wasn't cumulative, we weren't able to showcase this. Now, factor alongside these concerns, the fact that it was still a heavy lift for us to make sure that when our students go down, that they are adequately housed, that we can get them down there, that we can find the right space. So it was just very obvious, why don't we have space in DC, given that we're this involved, given that this is such a major priority 
for how we structure the school, its curriculum and what we do and how we ground ourselves, the obvious next logical step is for us to have a physical presence in Washington, D.C. Maybe I could draw you out on that just a little because you've half answered this already. But in this day of virtual travel, if you want to call it travel and virtual everything, why do you think it was important to actually have a physical presence? You already touched on that. But if I could just draw you out a little bit more. Yeah, no, that's great. And Alan, can I turn the tables on you for a moment? Because you're one of our colleagues who is heavily involved in D.C. You're very influential in D.C. And you're sort of like that interlocutor between the school and D.C. Thinking about your own experiences, thinking about your own trajectory here at the school, how do you think the SPIA in D.C. initiative is going to help you as a faculty member, as a policymaker, and as a teacher? Well, for me, it would have been tremendously useful pre-pandemic. And hopefully we're going to eventually live in a post-pandemic world. It'll be like that. Again, I found myself in D.C. regularly. I was a very good customer of Amtrak. And sometimes, not always, you would find dead time. Like you had to testify at an early morning hearing, and then you had to meet somebody at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And sitting in Union Station for six hours probably is not what you want to do. I often thought if I had an office and a desk and a computer, I could make good use of the time. I think there's also, it's happened to me only very indirectly, and I'll explain in a second what I mean, but I think there's lots of possibilities for collaboration between Princeton faculty who tend to be deeper and more academic, which they should be, and think tankers who tend to have their feet on the Washington ground better, which they should be. And cross-fertilizing that, I think, will add value to both. Notwithstanding what I just said about Zoom and other electronic communications, face-to-face -face is still better, I think. I think that's absolutely right. And especially as we start thinking about out-of-the-box ways, new ways that we can make sure that our students and our community is engaging face-to-face -face in DC, having that physical location is going to be really, really important for us. So maybe I can ask you how this came about. You mentioned that this was one of the first things you thought about when you became dean. We'd never done it before. Talk a little bit, if you will, about the origins of this, what started as a thought and now not a thought anymore, it's a reality. I've been at Princeton for 20 years, Alan, as a faculty member in the Department of Politics. And what I know about, A, the Princeton reputation, and about our own academic reputation. The first is that Princeton is part of the Ivy Leagues and we are proud to be part of the Ivy League, but there was always this reputational disadvantage, if you may, that because of where we're physically located in New Jersey, in the very pristine town of Princeton, that we were a little bit insulated or isolated even from what was happening in policy circles, especially in DC. So that was the first thing. Our colleagues, our other counterparts, our peer institutions who are in New York or in D.C., they have the advantage of being in bigger cities. We're sort of on the corridor, but we're in Princeton. So there's always this concern that we are not naturally endowed by just geography in terms of being out there in the public sphere. The second issue that I'm very mindful of, even in my own work, Alan, as a student of Middle East politics, is that we are a very academically rigorous institution, and the school itself is not like any other policy school in the country. 
99% of our faculty are jointly appointed with academic disciplines, which means in any given year, any given day, we always have the most outstanding economists, political scientists, psychologists, sociologists, etc., teaching our students. By default means that our faculty are not naturally policymakers or haven't come through the ranks through a policymaking career or trajectory. So it's even more incumbent upon us. It's even more imperative that we as a school begin to think about how do we help our faculty make these linkages? And I know for myself, again, thinking about my own career, somebody who works on Middle East politics, who works on issues of policy relevance, like democratization, the Arab Spring, economic crises in the region, all issues that were important to policymaking, I knew that I had to spend a lot of time building the requisite networks, building the ties, and having the right access in D.C. to get to the policymaking table. And that doesn't come easy or very naturally, especially if you're at a place like Princeton, where the demands on our faculty in terms of research, teaching, and service are very high. But it means that you have to do this above and beyond your existing portfolio. So when I interviewed for the position of dean for the school, I knew right away that this was going to be a major initiative because it will facilitate the conversations our communities are different communities, the multiplicity of communities can have in DC. And having that conversation is especially important for a school like ours. I could add to that very shortly without naming names. I had a couple of conversations with think tankers over the years urging me saying, Princeton should be here. Princeton should be here in Washington for the reasons you said, for the depth, for the intellectual strength and things like that. But let me ask you quickly, why now? I mean, this didn't happen 10 years ago, five years ago, eight years ago. Why now? So I think now, I mean, the truth is the world is changing. It's evolving. There are many policy issues that our school has always cared about. I believe that if you think about the trajectory of our school, Alan, we've accomplished many different things across the last few decades. I was lucky to inherit a school or to become dean in a school where a lot of the other benchmarks and target points have been met so that I could think more creatively about, okay, what's next? I know, like, for example, my predecessor had to deal with the financial crisis. It's an opportune time to think, what can we do next? And to your point, Alan, it's about time that we take Princeton to D.C. because like you, so many people have said to me, why isn't Princeton represented at the table? Or our alumni will come to me and say, we were at this major briefing or this major event and every other school was represented or most other schools were represented. And I just wish that Princeton was there. And you know, Alan, as well as I do, DC doesn't come to you. You have to go to DC. That's right. That is very right. Apropos of that, how do you envision the space being used for teaching, meetings, faculty, hanging out, conferences, whatever? I think all of the above, Alan, it's been really exciting for us at the school already. We have just secured the space. We are launching our event on May 10th as the signature inaugural big event. But the demand for the space usage has been constant. So I know many classes have already taken students down to the space. They've used the space. Already, I see. Already they've invited speakers from D.C., whether it's from 
Capitol Hill or from other public service sectors. They've already invited speakers and guests to the school to engage with our students. The university has held an event in this space already. Several of our centers have already asked to use the space in the fall to hold either workshops or conferences where they're going to invite relevant folks from D.C. to engage with our faculty and our community and our students. So we're really, really excited. The demand is really soaring. It's clear that it's a benefit of the faculty. I already talked about that in answer to your question. Talk a little, if you will, about the benefits to the students and the alumni community, both of which you've touched on. So this is great. I mean, on our student side, Alan, it's just going to allow us more easy access to D.C. in terms of thinking about having a classroom. We have space now in our SPI and D.C. space that is set up classroom style. It can accommodate up to 50 students. It can accommodate up to 14 students. So seminar style, more larger classroom style. So for us as a school, not having to worry about the logistics of space and who will house us. When you start thinking about others who will house you also, Alan, there's always a set of other issues that sort of arise in terms of, is this space suitable? Are we favoring one unit in DC over the other? Like, what are the optics of it? This way we have our own space for our own students. And it will allow us to encourage our faculty to think more creatively about building in a DC component. Because a lot of times, again, this is not second order knowledge for a lot of our faculty. The fact that now we're building some sort of knowledge accumulation, knowledge capital around how to do this and how to sort of involve our students in DC debates is going to facilitate what our faculty can do. So we see this as very beneficial to our students. A lot of our students who are doing research, whether for the senior theses or some of our PhD students, oftentimes they need space or place to interview or to, as you said, Alan, as they're spending the day in doing research in DC or interviewing colleagues in DC, having a space to work in. We have in our space also private offices that can be used for private conversations, private interviews, things of that sort. And like I said, for our alum, our alum already, I mean, we have an amazing alumni everywhere, Alan, but our alumni in D.C., they meet every week sometimes. And so now to have our space in D.C. as a place where they can convene, they can have their happy hours, they can have events, I can go down and engage our alumni more frequently, more seamlessly. I think this is going to be a win-win for all our constituents. And Alan, it's really important. I know this is a SPIA initiative, but I really see this as a Princeton University initiative. So if our colleagues in economics who are not in the school said that they wanted to launch an event in this space, we will be happy. We see this as something that will move the university forward as well. Yeah, I was going to warn you about that. There may be people from other departments that are interested in this. You may soon find the overbooking problem. But give us a little taste of what's happened in there in that space already. You said things have already happened. I think you said a class or two has already met and meetings and... We've had a couple of classes that have gone down to D.C. They were going to go down to present, for example, their policy task force findings. They have already used the space. We know, for example, ESOC, which is one of our centers, will be holding its annual meeting in D.C. in October. The Nihau Center for Globalization and Governance will hold another conference at the end of October in the space. The 1973 oil embargo anniversary is fast approaching in November. We're going to be holding an event around that in D.C. in November. We're not celebrating that, I don't think. No, no, we're going to be critically analyzing it. And it's going to be related to our commitment to climate change and environmental 
discussions and issues related to sustainable energy and things of that sort as well. So in CPRI, our unit that basically spearheads a lot of our environmental work is going to be also holding a panel down there. So there's been a lot of activity around the DC space. And in fact, Alan, what's been even quite heartening for Adina at least is that a lot of our colleagues who were already going to be down in DC for like a day or for a few hours have put in their itinerary, I want to stop and see the new space. And so we will receive emails randomly from people, our colleagues we didn't even know would be down there say, hey, I just stopped at the DC space. I took some pictures. I'm amazed. It's good. It's good that people know about it already. And by the way, you can be sure that I'm going to pop in now. I haven't been there yet. You have priority. We do have somebody on site who will be there to welcome you, Alan, show you around. If you want to work there, they're there to answer any questions. Make sure you get on the Wi-Fi. We have a nice kitchenette where you can get a cappuccino, a coffee, some snacks. It's a really friendly space. Sounds very good. Thank you very much. Any last word you want to add? So I want to ask you a question, Alan. Since you're basically our DC expert and we lean in on you all the time on advice on DC, let's say it's about 10 years from now and you and I are having coffee and we're sort of looking back. We're having a discussion about Gali. That DC initiative has been really successful for you. And then, of course, for me, because I will listen carefully to what you say also, Alan. But for you, what will constitute success in this space? You know the DC landscape quite well. Can I just say something else? Others told us to be careful about this space, Alan, because there's perhaps an oversaturation of universities and entities in DC and that we weren't going to be able to carve out our comparative advantage in DC. So now that it's 10 years down the line, how would you recommend we look back and analyze our success and or our failure? I think a lot of the markers are going to be obvious from what you already said. So starting with the students, it's going to be how many faculty members have found that a convenient venue, whether it's for task force, whether it's for one or two sessions of a course that's about the Congress, or in my case, I teach about the Federal Reserve or something else that's in Washington. I would never move the whole course there, of course, but I can imagine having a meeting there with some Federal Reserve people. The drop-in use by faculty members, and especially with others from the think tank neighborhood, that could go either way. It could be Princeton faculty going over to Brookings or AEI or someplace, or it could be the other. That's one of the things that I think from the faculty's point of view is a potentially strong and important attribute for the new space. And the one I must admit I wasn't thinking about very much, although I know there are a lot of DC alumni, is the alumni. I didn't realize they meet every week. We have a lot of them. Some of them are very prominent. Some of them are less prominent, but many will be prominent later because they're young. And to the extent that they find that a convenient meeting place, both to meet others in the alumni community and to meet faculty and to meet students. I've never seen an alum that didn't like to meet students. They always do. I think it'll be a tremendous asset for that. And I think if I was to give you one metric of success that you want to use in making your assessment, it's how overcrowded the facility becomes. <laughs> if the demand exceeds the supply, which I imagine it will. I mean, not on day one. That never happens. But you're looking ahead 10 years. I can well imagine 
that you have to say no to a lot of bookings because you're already overbooked. That'll be a signal. That's what we're looking forward to. I mean, and then, Alan, to your point about the alumni, we talked about the alumni using the space to convene, but I do want to also sort of reinforce what you said. In terms of our career placement, our alumni network is one of our most valuable resources for our students. And to have a space where our students can meet with the alumni as well to network is extremely important for us. And we already have a networking event planned for later in May or early June. Got to get the right date. And then we also have an MPP alumni luncheon that will be held in the space right after the launch. Our staff is going down to the DC space to also take a look because many of the staff are going to be supporting our activities and initiatives down there. So they'll be down in the space as well. But I do want to highlight the importance of the space for our career placement and also highlight the fact that about 40% of our alumni are in DC. Really? That's quite About a third to 40%. So this is huge for us, as you can imagine. We're really excited about this. Well, you mentioned the magic DC word, networking. That's what DC is all about. For better or for worse, sometimes it's for better, sometimes it's for worse. But it's a networking town, for sure. And now we've created the space for more easy in facilitating these networking engagements. This will be wonderful. Very good. Excellent. Well, Alan, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day. I want to thank you also for all the great ideas and creative thought that you brought to the table. Alan has been on our DC Planning Initiative Committee for about a good year now. Very grateful for everything you're doing for us and for the school. And I look forward to seeing you on May 10th. Well, it's been a pleasure. I've been glad to be on it. I'm glad this is happening. Awesome. Absolutely glad it's happening. Thank you, Alan.